We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 123 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's the 20th of November, 2017. With me again, the Velvet Glove himself and the 12th man. Welcome aboard, gentlemen. G'day, how are you, Trevor? Going going, Fist and Glove, we're both well. 12th man, he's well. He's got a new haircut. He's completely bald, but... (laughs) <laughs> it was a cheap haircut because he did it himself. <laughs> it's always a cheap haircut for me. Mm. I thought he might have had chemo or something like that and he was just oh, trying dear. to hide it from us all, that's all. So, yeah. mm. Nothing so drastic as that, fortunately. Anyway, dear listener. Well, that's very good, yes. We started this podcast 123 episodes ago with the idea of discussing news, politics and the influence of religion on Australian society. Little could we have imagined we'd end up with this sort of marriage plebiscite and, <laughs> and you know, the spotlight being cast upon the religious forces openly in various media circles now. Like it really, I think beyond our little bubble, I think the general public is starting to talk about place of religion in society and its influence on these things, I think, more than what was the case 123 episodes ago. I think you're right, and I don't think that we can claim uh, credit for it, but we have done something to help with that. And, you know, I was looking today at an article from the Saturday paper, which dated back to 2015, and it started to outline the influence that religion is having on the Liberal Party. And it's really quite concerning how much of a disjointed bubble that these guys sit in down there in Canberra. They are completely disjointed from those who vote for them. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the seat of Menzies, which is represented by um, Kevin Andrews. Now, I, I don't know what the numbers were, but apparently the, the same-sex plebiscite there went uh, up nearly 70% against, uh, you know, in favour of same-sex marriage. And Kevin Andrews is, is opposed, mm. you know. It's um, it's really quite a frightening situation that you've got that amount of influence over, over a political party. Yeah, well, hopefully people are starting to look at it in his electorate and go, why is it? Why does he think that way? And the answer, invariably, with these things is religious. Hmm. So anyway, mm. dear listener, um, in the um, wash-up of the um, of the marriage equality. So besides, there's been some statistics come out in relation to the results and focusing a lot on the electorates in New South Wales, which, um, which came out with some odd results. And the first one that we're going to look at is an article from The Age and makes the point there are 17 electorates in Sydney. Uh, this is the city that has hosted the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras for nearly 40 years and 17 electorates said no. Like, it's... um, What more can you do to... Well, you know, it's a big thing to promote the idea of of the rightful place of gay people in our society 
and in a city that has hosted the Mardi Gras for 40 years, 17 electorates said, no, can't get married. It's, it's very interesting. It is very interesting. It's um, somewhat disturbing, but it is very interesting. Mm. And, you know, it does make you wonder what the hell they can do to try and improve it. But um, anyway, mm. we'll have to wait and see. Do you not think it's, it's just a case, as with um, other types of social change, it's just something that's going to take generational change? And that, um, this is my guess, that um, future generations... Even in those um, electorates that had a, pre- a predominantly no vote, will will change with time. Well, I think they will if they assimilate. But mm. what we've well, what the statistics are showing is that the seats that recorded a no vote were basically full of uh, not only people who are, you know, recent immigrants to Australia, but of a low socioeconomic status that's and true, of yeah. a low education so status is, is as well. So is it a case of education? Um, that's, that's part of it because... Well, I'll go through some statistics here and we'll um, uh, talk about it. So this particular article is from The Conversation and uh, Seat of Blacksland... Um, 73.9% said no. That's a lot. Um, seat of Watson, 69.6%. And in this article it says, what's driving this? And it says that it was the no campaign was particularly resonant in communities where people have fairly poor educational backgrounds, somewhat limited English language skills and their information is mediated primarily through religious institutions. There you go. Mm. That's, that's the formula for a no vote. And this comes, if I may say, this comes after that uh, discussion about um, uh, raising the required standard of English for Australian citizenship, and there was a big hoo-ha about um, a IELTS Level 6 being too high, uh, unreasonably high, now, I, you know, when I heard it, I thought, uh, level six, um, you know, that is, that is, you know, people were saying it's university standard. It's not really university standard. It's, it's the minimum standard that uh, English as a second language speakers need to get into most undergraduate courses in Australian universities. It doesn't mean their English is terrific mm. or particularly high class or high level, it means that's the minimum they need to get into an undergraduate course. Now, so all this um, rhetoric about it being university-level English was quite inaccurate and misleading. Mm. And I, I personally am a view that, of the view that um, for people to have a meaningful role in, in democracy, you know, to vote and to understand what they're voting for, they need pretty good language skills, don't they? Well, I do, but... Well, it, they do. Because even, if, your... even if Sorry, they had uh, good language skills, but are choosing to take all their information mm, from the local imam, yeah. mm. then that's not really... But at least it gives, them, it gives them greater scope to look outside those sources of language if they chose to. It does, but if they're constrained by a culture that they're insisting on, then they'll be stuck with the information they get from their religious yeah. cleric. Well, we, we shouldn't and, sell them too, well, I mean, and, and also the Chinese no, community I, I, is, I, a, is a big one in this as well. Mm-hmm. So the, the Chinese community, uh, it seems 
Well, that is a language thing, I guess, with people um, working through Chinese mm. language um, services found themselves directed towards a no vote. Yeah, big, big, strong element of Chinese. And again, my Chinese. point is, yeah. surely these people should be accessing information via the English language, shouldn't they? I tend to agree with you. I, I tend to agree with you, Paul. I think that if you've got a higher level, if you've got a higher level of English, then the local imam is not going to be speaking to you in Arabic. He's going to be speaking to you in English, and also the debate was all conducted in English. The advertisements were in English. You know, I think that um, I think you've hit the nail right on the head there, Paul. I think that English is. Really, it is essential if you're going to conduct yourself, if you're going to participate in our democracy. I yeah. think you've got to have yeah. English. And I, I personally don't think level six IELTS is um, an unreasonably high level to expect. Mm. Just going through. I didn't understand what level they were setting it at, but if what you're saying is true, that's yeah. fine by me. Are you yeah. familiar with the IELTS system? No, I'm not. Okay, yeah. it goes from one to nine. One is no English, nine is uh, what. Well, they, they term it expert speaker, but it's basically a good native speaker like us. Mm. It would be a nine. Mm. So uh, to get into a master's degree course in an Australian university, you need an IELTS 7, OK? To get into an undergraduate degree course, this is for second language English speakers, right? Mm. Uh, to get into an undergraduate course, as I said, you need six. People can get into like a TAFE level course with a 5.5. And I've had quite a lot of experience with IELTS and I can tell you a 5.5 is by no means anywhere near fluent in English. They are, they are managing. A 5.5 they're managing with English but they don't have really uh, high level skills whatsoever. And even a 6, they're still making a lot of mistakes. They're still doing a bit of guesswork with mm. vocabulary and things like that. So, But if people are coming in under, you know, family visas and things like that, then mm. they don't need to have any English language qualification. Really? I, I wouldn't have that. thought. Yeah, but applying like, for citizenship we're talking about, yes. not just uh, residency, obviously. Right. They don't vote if they only have a resident uh, visa. True, true. So these people are all voters, so they must have citizenship. Exactly. Yeah, hadn't thought of that. Mm. Yeah. So, so what are you saying? No citizenship unless you're at I, least a level six. I personally don't think it's an unreasonable requirement. Mm. I don't think that's unreasonable either. You know, mm. because if you want people to be citizens, you want people to be active participants, and not just active, but meaningful participants in the democratic system, mm-hmm. which means they should be able to access and digest. Uh, meaningful literature on whatever the issues are, on the and, and, and so what is policies. The, is there of, a current? Are you saying what, what are you saying the current level is that you have to get for citizenship? Well, it's less. What it's, is it? You oh, think it's, well, I don't know what it is exactly, but mm-hmm. it was proposed with the new citizenship changes. It was proposed that all new applicants for citizenship right. uh, be required to have an IELTS level six, mm. but it was knocked on the head. I think it hasn't got through. Let's give some more statistics here before we go too much further with this debate. So um, uh, let me just see here. Um, uh, there are electorates with high proportions of people born overseas um, who, in fact, voted highly in favour of a yes vote. So just being born overseas wasn't necessarily... Um, 
the only indicator. The no vote was strong in places where there's a high concentration of people from Chinese backgrounds. This was true even in electorates where there's a higher socioeconomic profile. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Uh, in short, the electorates most likely to vote in favour of same-sex marriage have many highly educated non-believers, while electorates most likely to vote against it would be more working-class, non-European, overseas-born religious communities. That's from that particular article. And an interesting one from... Another one from The Guardian here, which uh, has basically plotted uh, on various graphs... Uh, different characteristics of people and how they voted and um, how those characteristics correlated to yes and no votes. And uh, their conclusion was the factor that correlated most strongly with the no vote was religious affiliation, not overseas birth. So that was the strongest correlation. When you look at the graph, you can, you can see how it's all plotted and it's a pretty strong correlation, just looking at this graph. Um, well, I think that's right. I mean, Corey Bernardi and Erica Betts didn't vote, didn't vote for it and they were born here. Yep. So, so being born yeah. overseas had only a slightly um, positive leaning with the no vote. Uh, surprisingly, household income only slightly correlated with a yes vote. So rich or poor didn't matter much. Also higher education levels had slightly but not remarkably positive relationship with voting yes. So uh, uh, the higher the graduate, you know, even against a postgraduate qualification, just looking at the chart, it's not a particularly strong correlation. Islam, of course, fared poorly um, in it and only one religion, Scott, did you get? To, did you read this article? With the, I might have sent it to you with these graphs. If, no, I didn't have the graphs okay, in it. If yeah. you had to pick a religion that has a positive correlation with a yes vote, what would you pick? I was going to say the Catholics because they are against, um, you know, that they were they were not listening to their priests right. and that sort of thing. Right. You've obviously read the screen, twelve man. Oh, I read the article. All yeah. right. Uh, Judaism, the Jews. No, oh, of course, yeah. Yes. But go. that's interesting because, as we know, some Jewish communities are extremely socially conservative. But it's a very mi- small minority. But minorities the Hasidic yes. Jews are yes. quite a small minority, mm. yeah. Uh, Carrie Hu, who campaigned for the yes vote in Western Sydney, said the lack of access to trusted English language news and campaign materials played a significant role in persuading people against marriage equality. The no campaign pumped out bilingual material that used fearful messaging that actually connected with the migrant community. There we go. So they are organised in the No campaign and they were better at pumping out Chinese language arguments to say vote no. Interesting. Mm. Mm. I, I dare say in the Chinese community traditionally there's a fairly... Strong tendency to social conservatism as well, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. You know the old idea of the uh, the traditional family being the keystone of Chinese society. Really, mm. I mean it is in most, but uh, they have a very strong sense of family in Chinese culture. Yeah, because I mean Chinese are not particularly religious. 
So, uh, not especially, but yeah, they no. can be in their own sort of way. When, they, you know when they become religious, they really go for they it. They can be very superstitious, is what mm. I mean. You know, they're going mm. for things like feng shui and rubbish like that. Mm. Mm. Uh, not to mention acupuncture, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, dear listener, if you're new to the program, uh, at different times we um, we have a you cannot be curious moment, which is uh, named in honour of Nick Kyrgios as an athlete who has performed badly in the world of, for whatever reason, and uh, we have a you cannot be curious moment coming up for you. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. Thank you, John McEnroe. On this occasion, it's Margaret Court. Scott, you found her comments fun? <laughs> you really do have to feel for her because she's, um, she's clearly delusional. Um, you know, she's stuck in the 1950s. I mean, um, no, well, 1960s, I suppose. I'll give her a bit of a, a bit of leniency there. But, you know, she just won't accept the vote, will she? You know, she was the one that petitioned for the vote and that sort of thing, and it's backfired on her, and she's now turning around and she's asked Parliament to ignore the outcome of the vote, Mm. just to ignore it and think of the children. You know, if anything, there is nothing more inane than think of the children as an argument against same-sex marriage because it makes absolutely not a cracker of difference. It's it's Uh, out of the uh, Lyle Shelton playbook. Uh, think of the children. So the 70, it is, yeah, absolutely. So Margaret Court, the 75-year-old, said it was a very sad day for our nation but insisted she still loves her home. Uh, goes on, she said, you don't change something because something came through like today's yes vote. Really? Isn't that what it was about, about changing something? Exactly. Well, I think I can agree with her on this point. Because... <laughs> I mean, okay, this will be good. Come yeah. well, well, if 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 the result had come out as no, then I think if I was a politician, I would say it doesn't matter. We still need a vote. We need a yes. We need to change this legislation. Like sometimes, the public can get things wrong. So you have to have the courage of your convictions. And if it's a bad decision or a bad, you know, outcome from this sort of thing, oh, I think you can say, sorry, that is just... Like, if, if the public came out and said, you know, let's discriminate against black people, well, it just doesn't matter what the majority might think, we're not going to do it. So I think she's got a point there, but just because you have a, a vote that says one thing doesn't mean you have to do it. You're tough, but it's you're still, fair. It's still going to be good. Very fair. It's still going to be a good decision. So I'll swayed you on that. Oh, look, I, I think I've always thought that to be the case. Yeah, so there we go. So Margaret Court does have a point there. Um, that's probably the only valid thing she's got in the whole article. Uh, she's previously called out supporters of same-sex marriage for attempting to ruin all major holidays, including Christmas. And uh, God knows how the hell we're going to stuff up Christmas. <laughs> and she admitted previously that... Uh, well, she said previously that advocates for the postal vote only hoped for equal marriage because they wanted to destroy it. And she's previously said, there'll be no Mother's Day, there'll be no Father's Day, there'll really? be no Easter, there will be no Christmas. She's apparently, previously... But the tooth fa- fairy will still come, surely. Yeah, well, who knows. So, um, so anyway, thank you, Margaret Court. I'm going to award a point against you, Mr McEnroe. <laughs> 
Oh, dear. Poor old Margaret Court. Mm. Uh, okay, we've moved into the phase that we always knew we were heading and the argument is now turning to different members, uh, conservative religious members of parliament, wanting the opportunity to amend the Dean Smith bill and put in um, provisions to protect religious freedom. And our Attorney-General... Um, Brandis has said that he wants to amend the legislation in two ways. It currently, I believe, Scott, says that a civil celebrant can refuse to marry if they have a religious objection. And he wants That's to That's my understanding, yes. He wants to expand that so that they can refuse if they have a conscientious objection. So they don't need a religious one, just that they don't like it. And secondly, he wants something put into the bill to say um, uh, there's nothing to make it unlawful for people to hold and to express the views of their own religion on their own views on on marriage and religion. Like there's this complete furphy that people won't be able to talk about marriage because they'll get into trouble about it now that it's changed. Like it's, just, it's completely nonsensical. And Brandis wants to put in a provision to say, well, you know, you can talk about whatever you like about marriage and you won't fall foul of any other laws. So this is our Attorney-General. A, this gets back to the civil celebrants saying, oh, you know... Perhaps you've just got an objection that's not religious. Well, you should be able to just say no as well. Just, just but look, perhaps rather than giving religious exemptions, because we all know religion is just a bunch of myths and superstitions anyway, with you know no basis in, in fact, really, on the whole, why not give a conscientious objection to everybody rather than just for religious people? Why shouldn't atheists have conscientious objection, the same as religious people. For example, war. What if uh, Australia went to war with New Zealand and you, you, you decided to be a conscientious objector and you refused to go and fight? Um, you know, obviously it wouldn't be New Zealand, but mm-hmm. just as a, you know, mm-hmm. an example, um, do you think people shouldn't have the right to conscientious objection on the grounds that they strongly believe it's the wrong thing to do? Well, I think a conscientious objection to the Vietnam War would have been fine. Why only the Vietnam War? Well, just as an example. Mm. Like, that's just okay. to say... So, so maybe, I'm saying yes. So maybe for any war, people... Con- because do you, do you recall in the, um, in the First World War, I'm not sure about Australians, but certainly some British um, people were treated very, very badly. Mm. And... Um, I think, you know, people people were shot for, you know, having uh, shell shock and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think any Australians were shot for that, for, you know, for but, but, but when, allegations of desertion. But when someone exercises a conscientious objection about war, mm-hmm. then they're saying, I myself am not going to war. Mm-hmm. I'm deciding that I'm not doing something. No, what Correct? I'm, no. Whereas no, a conscientious no, usually... objection to a marriage ceremony is saying, well, I'm not... 
allowing these people to get married. Well, what they're saying in both mm. cases is this is against my mm. family-held um, beliefs mm. and principles. Well, think. this all comes down to the social contract theory that I had with you before, whereas if you're opening your door up to doing business, then uh, you should open it up to everybody without discriminating. So, so okay, 12th man, you're okay with a conscientious objection from Possibly. Brandis. I'm willing to consider it. Right, okay. But, so long, but I think if you're going to allow a conscientious objection, it should be allowed for everybody, not just for superstitious people. Okay, and if the conscientious objection is because somebody's black? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a, it's a very uh, so, contentious area. So if we put you in a time warp and transport you back to Alabama... You, you, you would have... No, you know, I, I, I don't have much <laughs> truck with racism, you know that. But, but a conscientious um, objection, that's, that's, that could be a racist. You know, if somebody absolutely. says conscientiously, I just don't like blacks. But how we characterise people's individual convictions and beliefs can be highly subjective, you know? I mean, some yeah. people would probably say that some of my views are racist. I don't think they are, but other yes. people might characterise them that way. Yes, you know what I mean? It's highly subjective, isn't it? So my point being, if you're going to have allow any kind of conscientious objection, why limit it only to people who are uh, certified subscribers to some... Okay, I'll agree with you on that. that uh, but I would say to you we shouldn't have a religious objection. So we shouldn't allow a religious one and we shouldn't allow a conscientious one. But okay. I agree with you in the sense that if you're going to allow a religious one, and you think that's fine, well, you may as well allow a conscientious one. But you shouldn't allow a religious one. Like, wouldn't you think that? Not necessarily, because I think there is something to be said for uh, allowing people to opt out of the the mainstream um, moral... um, they can opt out if they want to. Go and live in a you, commune you know somewhere I mean. and be self-sufficient. What, what I'm saying is throughout history, throughout human social development, you know, when it, has it, change occurred? It, it, it's it, when someone has sort of opted out of the mainstream often it, and said, no, I think this other way is better. You, you know what you are, 12th man? What? You're a libertarian. Maybe I am. You're, you, that's how you should describe yourself. You've been listening to Dave Rubin podcast not that regularly actually but you, you that's occasion. what you are you, you and you quite like dave rubin well and, he's all right he's and, all right he's like he's not somebody i'm I, listening I, to avidly every week by any means i think he's very lightweight but, but you know he, he's this whole libertarian ideal this that that's what you are you're a libertarian I you know because i've read what libertarianism is supposed to be you know on the internet and I've read it and thought, mm, not sure, not sure whether I am or not. Maybe there are some aspects of libertarianism that appeal to me, but I'm not sure. I, 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 I mean, I'm not a libertarian in the sense of an American, typical American libertarian, you know, that sort of thinks taxes are theft and shit like that. I don't think taxes are theft. I think that's, as you would say, part of the yes. social contract. Yes, yes. All right. Um... Well, that was Brandis well, saying that if we're going to have a religious exemption, he wants to add to it and just allow conscientious objections for marriage celebrants and also something in there to say that it won't be unlawful to hold and express views on religion. In my view, totally unnecessary and... 
And I think that's um, – you remember last week I said that there was going to be something thrown to the Conservatives. I think that's probably what he's throwing to the Conservatives, is this idea that you're going to be protected for teaching what you think marriage should be. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, anyway, Matt Canavan is going to be pushing for that and I think George Christensen as well and a few others. But it doesn't seem like they've got the numbers. Yeah. Mm. Well, Turnbull said um, – the last day or so, he said that he didn't think Smith's bill needed any amendment. That's so, right. yeah. mm. I was going to say the gall of George Brandis for um, <laughs> proposing this, but we got a message from Ken <laughs> who wrote in and said, Hey, Scott, start tooting the horn when Trevor says the gall of these people. I counted three in two minutes last episode. That's from Ken. So he's in your corner, Scott. I have to, have to teat myself if I say the gall. So rather than say the gall, um, mm. I think the effrontery, impudence, impertinence, cheek, insolence, <laughs> audacity, temerity, presumption, cockiness, nerve, shamelessness, so disrespect need, and bad need a bit manners. more diversity of language on this podcast is what we need. Yeah. I was aiming for brevity, you know. But, you know, okay, Ken, if you want me to go through all those words in future, I will. But uh, thanks, Ken, for the feedback. <sighs> Article from a guy... Um, Oh, well, actually, it's a real long essay or report by a guy called Rodney Croom who wrote um, uh, a big piece called Devil in the Detail, which looks at this whole story of these extra exemptions that uh, people are wanting in the name of religious belief. And actually, at one point in it, he says... A, conscious, a conscientiously held belief seems to extend the grounds for objection to include any nasty prejudice as long as it is earnestly held, no holy book required. And I think that's where the problem calls, falls down on because, um, and I know you're going to throw rocks at me for saying this, if you've got a religious belief and that sort of stuff, you can point to a magic book and say God said, but if you're just saying on a conscientious objection... You're not pointing to anything. You're simply saying it's I object because of my conscience. What's wrong which, with that? Which, which more often than not is just a nasty prejudice. <laughs> exactly. It, may, it yeah. may well be, but um, do we really want a society where everybody thinks the same mm. and believes the same? No, I don't mind if they think. I don't care what they think. I do. I, 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 they can think whatever they like, but if they're going to be providing public services, then they've got to... I'd prefer a society where people have a diversity of views and are willing to peacefully debate them mm-hmm. rather than everybody just has the same idea. There's no doubt about you, 12th man. You're a strong supporter of this libertarian ideal. Um, uh, anyway, in this piece, um, he makes a few points, one of which I think is valid in that he criticises the left for just giving in on this idea of religious freedom and not standing up to it and saying that it's actually about privilege. And if you give these people an inch, they will take a mile and the left will regret not uh, really standing up to this notion of religious freedom that is being touted. Absolutely. I, I honestly believe that's true, that if the left does give in, then well, they'll be regretting it. Mm. 
12th man, I just want to check a couple of things uh, with you, just as I'm trying to nail you <clears> down on, on these views. Um, religious schools, um, they sh should they be able to sack teachers if they want to? Religious schools, in my opinion, uh, shouldn't exist. Right, but, you know, but they're... The they're indoctrination centres more than anything, aren't right, they? Right, but, you know, Catholic private school, should they able, be able to sack a teacher for being an unmarried mother, for example? No, I wouldn't have thought so, no. No? OK. And just, just no on that, OK. Religious hospitals, <laughs> should they be able to refuse abortions? If abortions are legally permitted and yep. there's a doctor who's willing to perform them, why would they? Okay, so, so no on that. They should not be able to refuse. Yep. I don't think so. Okay. Particularly if they're getting state funding, which, and okay. we know there are some that are. And a civil celebrant be able to refuse. You said yes on that. You're quite happy for civil celebrants yes, to be able to I'm refuse. I'm quite happy for a civil celebrant to say, look, I want to marry the people I want to marry, and, yeah. and look, you'd be better off asking someone who's more enthusiastic about your style of marriage. Why, right. why would you ask someone to marry you right. who didn't believe in the, um, you know... And a JP, should they be able to refuse to witness a document if they just don't like something about you? That's an interesting one. I hadn't thought of that. What, what do you think? Oh, no, of course they should witness a document. Yeah, that's their function in society, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's their function so, in society. That's their function. Okay, so it's a yes... They should. Okay, just got that for later discussions. Good. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see. Where are we up to now? Uh, we're up to um, Fred Nile. You know, we're, we're, we're you know, often up in Queensland <laughs> described as Hicksville. But fortunately our parliament... Doesn't does, have an upper house. Doesn't have a Fred Nile. <laughs> at the moment. Mm. Dear listener, uh, assisted dying legislation has been going through not only Victoria but also New South Wales Parliament and it failed in the upper house in New South Wales. And one of the key reasons was Christian Democrat party leader Reverend Fred Nile, who, of course, voted against it. And during the debate, he came out with the biggest porky that you've ever heard. And he said, you know, all the slippery slope arguments and if we allow this to happen, then doctors will be killing patients left, right and centre. And he described what he said was a true story from uh, a jurisdiction where assisted dying is allowed and he said that... Oregon in the US. Yeah, he, he said... So he's standing up in Parliament saying this, that, um, that uh, in a published and certified incident, a patient signed a consent form that she wanted a lethal injection from her doctor to terminate her life, Mr Nile explained. The relatives came in to watch her die and the patient then said to her doctor... No, I've changed my mind. I do not want to die. The doctor said, but you've signed a consent form, she said. No, the doctor said to the, her relatives, would you hold her down while I give her the lethal injection? <laughs> this. It's, it would be high comedy if it wasn't taking place in the parliament. 
Exactly. exactly. And, you know, this is the whole point. The guy told a deliberate bloody lie it's to the parliament. It's isn't it? It's yeah. incredible. It's incredible. And he said, God prompted me. That's, that's right. You know, prompted him to lie? Well, apparently so, yes. Uh, yes, he said he'd made a mistake. Later on, he admitted he made a mistake. And um, he said initially he didn't intend to use the story in his contribution to the debate. Quote, Whether God prompted me, I got a full-blown visual of that report, so I just started quoting from memory, he said. I probably should have had it in front of me. And he said he will approach the clerk of the upper house for permission to correct the Hansard. A bit late so, now. Well, you know, plenty of other people got up and said, we've never heard of this case and it sounds completely ridiculous. But, you know... I mean, that, just the, the whole point is, that, you know, she said, the doctor said to her relatives, would you hold her down while I give her the lethal injection? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> how many people's relatives would hold you down so they could give you a lethal injection? I mean, well, it's a load of bullshit, She might it? have been worth a packet, you know? And they were just couldn't wait to get their, their hands on it. Yeah. That is the argument. Yes, that is the argument. So, um... no, if Fred Nile is really he's really scraped the bottom of the barrel by doing that. He has he has hit rock bottom and started to dig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, article here by. Uh, Dr. Sarah Edelman, clinical psychologist and president of Dying with Dignity, New South Wales. And in it, she makes the comment that, well, she's been involved in this cause for many, many years. Um, She says the opposition is driven by theology. Uh, Ten years ago, though, the opposition arguments were candid. Right to Life did not conceal the fact that it is a religious organisation and the declared position on anti-euthanasia websites was that only God gives life and only he can determine when it should end. And when suffering was acknowledged to be unrelievable, the advice was that there is grace in suffering as this is what Jesus endured on the cross and we, his humble servants, should be willing to endure the same. So those were the arguments ten years ago biblical and theological. This is straight out of the Mother Teresa uh, operational manual, isn't it? Well, well, but the thing now is they never say these things and it's all about religious freedom and uh, rights of children and slippery slopes and uh, everything except the Bible and theology, which is disingenuous. Like they're hiding their biblical uh, motivations Mm. because they know it's not going to... Um, cut the mustard. It won't, fl- it, won't, it won't fly in the Australian public's mind. Mm. So they've moved on from that. Yeah, they've they've mm. they've sanitised their version of it all. Yes, and couch it in terms like religious freedom. Very clever. Mm. Uh, let's see, Queensland election coming up. We're in the middle of a campaign in Queensland, and one of uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk's announcements was that the $20,000 first homeowner's grant will be extended for six months. What do you think of that? 12th man or velvet glove? It's, it's naked vote buying, isn't it? Any opinions? I think it's vote buying. You know, 20000 bucks that they're going to extend it for six months. I mean, it's... 
Why six months? I, I, I personally think that the the uh, grant and that sort of stuff was naked vote buying by Howard at the time. As always, and it didn't buy any. It didn't buy any relief for new home buyers no. because all they did was they jacked up the prices by twenty grand. That's always not. Perfect answer. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> and everybody knows that if, to be if, true. If you say to a big pool of potential buyers, here's an extra 20 grand, yeah. and they're all competing yeah. against each other, guess what? The value of houses just went up 20 grand. It doesn't achieve exactly. anything. It's it, as a vote buying exercise. It's just taxpayers' it, money it, in the pockets of the vendors. Of the vendors, correct. People think it's. And more commission for the agents. Yes, exactly. So they'd be in favour of it. So. It's a terrible policy. It's it was just, always a terrible policy, and it's still a terrible policy. Just a numbskull policy, and uh, so as secular. I mean, like it's 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 very well for us to say that because you know we we've already got our own property, but, but that's speaking against our, that, ourselves. Well, I know, I know, yeah. it's speaking against ourselves for sure because we are we are arguing that we should cut it back so our properties go down in value by tw- by twenty grand each. Correct, which is fine. Because, you know, property in Australia is overinflated, mm. you know. And this is just one of the things that keeps it inflated. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Well, according to this evening's news, uh, property values, particularly in the hot markets of Sydney and Melbourne, are stalling and may well go backwards in the near future if the investors get a bit of a fright or start getting worried, particularly the Chinese investors apparently are uh, uh, getting feeling a bit cool about the whole Australian property market. Good. We need a property crash. We need a bit of a crash. Mm. It's just uh, overinflated to ridiculous levels, mm. isn't it? Mm. So uh, when deciding as a secularist who you're going to vote for in Queensland, um, just reminding you when there was the discussion about the religious instruction classes in Queensland and a review was done and a recommendation was made uh, that volunteers not incite children to evangelise to their friends in the playground. And the Minister Kate James came out and said, well, it's just, you know... Don't encourage them to evangelise, but we can't tell kids what to say or not to say in a playground. But uh, to give you an idea of where the LNP and One Nation stand on this sort of thing, at that time, LNP MP Fiona Simpson said, um, accused Ms Jones of giving in to the anti-God police. The reality is that in many countries which ban freedom of religion, those who are punished for evangelising have simply talked about their faith, she said. And if you thought maybe One Nation would be better, Steve Dixon claimed um, bureaucrats were bending over backwards to cater for minorities. This country has long held a set of Christian values which should not be undermined by bureaucratic nonsense such as this. Yeah. So, you know, and Tim Mander, former Scripture Union guy, is... is not the opposition education spokesman at the moment, but he has been at different times and... May well th- be in the future. I think if you're a secularist, you would have to vote not LNP and not One Nation if you've got a Reason Party person in your electorate, as in Noosa. You might go for, for, um, for them. Or an independent who might be 
secular. Otherwise, you'd have to go Labor, I think. Don't you love these people who come out with this Australia is a Judeo-Christian Judeo mm. nation rubbish? Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's straight out of the Republican playbook from America mm. where they have distorted their history and said that it was dev that the nation was set up by Christians for Christians. Mm. Mm. Twelfth man, this might... Um, this might upset you, this article, oh, I feel. Gee. Uh, <laughs> United Nations Human Rights Committee released its recommendations from its review of Australia's compliance with key human rights treaty, the International Covenant on mm -hmm. Civil and Political Rights. The committee harshly criticised Australia for failures in key areas, including treatment of refugees, Indigenous rights and inadequate protection of human rights, including the lack of a National Human Rights Act. Are you worried that the United Nations Human Rights uh, Committee I'm, isn't happy with Australia? I'm, I'm worried about the United Nations Human Rights Committee yes. and the, the make-up of the committee because uh, there's a lot of uh, countries with very dubious human rights records on uh, various human rights councils in the United Nations at the moment. Mm. Saudi Arabia is probably the worst yeah, of them. So... Mm. Uh, for them to be lecturing Australia, I think, uh, is a mm. bit rich. Mm. So the committee expressed concern about disproportionately high Indigenous incarceration rates. It recommended that measures such as mandatory sentencing and imprisonment for not paying fines be repealed. So I'm not sure if they meant that was just in relation to Aboriginal people or, or everybody. Don't know. But, you know, if people don't pay fines, then... And you're not going to put them in jail. At some point, people will just... Why would anybody pay any fine? don't know. But, I mean, I, I think there is an issue, um, not only with Aboriginal people, but with um, poor people generally who can't pay fines, don't have the means to pay fines, and uh, end up in, in the slammer. I think that's a, an issue for all of us, and definitely we need to be looking into it and trying to find some creative ways of dealing with it, I, I absolutely believe that is a, is a problem for all of us. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder if the Finns have got it right because they, um, they fine you based on what your income was the last year. And not only the Finns. Oh, really? There's a number of European yeah. countries where your penalty is based on your income. Oh. And, there, I, I, you know, there have been some That's... sensational cases like the guy who was driving his Lamborghini or whatever it was on the motorway in Switzerland. He was caught speeding and, you know, his fine was like a million bucks or something like that because he was a very wealthy person. Right, yep. And I think that's, that makes a lot of sense because, as we know... Um, yeah, Rich I, people I'm in Australia will just laugh at speeding fines. Uh, they might not be happy about losing points because it affects their their, their, their licence status, but, you know, they, why would they care about paying 300 bucks or 400 bucks for a speeding fine? Yeah, I'm starting to come round to that. For a long time I was opposed because I thought to myself that you've got to have equality before the law and all that, and all that sort of thing. But uh, I, I'm not... I'm no longer entirely opposed to that idea. I think that um, a monetary fine, if it's going to hurt, it should actually be designed to hurt. And the only way it's going to hurt is if it's, if it's levelled on you based on your income. Mm. What do you think? Fist? 
Hmm. That's a tough one. But the reality is, a, a rich guy who gets a $300 fine is just going to say, yeah, so what? That's true. And that's, a poor person or even a working class person with a job is going to go, 300 yes. bucks. oh, that really hurts, you know? Because these fines... So it's not equality really, is fines it? Fines are designed to have a deterrent effect mm. and if it's just um, spare change, then there's, there's no, no deterrent. deterrent effect in that. I'd have to think about that one. But... There's something to that. But I still like the idea of treating everybody equally. But they're not being yeah, treated and, and, uh, I agree with you, Fizz, to a point, mm. but I do think that um, because of the whole, you know, like you said, it's just spare change for very wealthy people. Mm. I think that um, if you did change the fine situation where the fine reflected your income, I think you would probably get a you'd probably get more of a deterrence factor yeah, out of it. And more compliance with the law. And and more revenue. <laughs> and more revenue. <laughs> well you'd you'd get more revenue initially, but then after that, once the once there was a few big fines levied, mm. then they the 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 penny would finally drop and people would start obeying the law. Just getting back to the like speeding fines and that, um, a lot of wealthy people would probably hold their vehicle in a company name as part of a business. And oh, but it's the, if it's you a... get a fine and it's owned by a business, then uh, government sends you a letter saying who was the driver. Yes. And if you don't nominate a driver, you pay five times the normal fine. Oh, I didn't know that. But then there's nobody gets a. Um, okay. A demerit point. So a wealthy person, the family business or something, might decide, you know what, I'm going to pay five times the normal fine and not nominate myself for the uh, points. So what's the average speeding fine these days? About $350, $400? No idea. And it depends on how how, how far you exceed the speed Mm. limit. Um, Full disclosure here. I got a letter a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I got a red light fine, a red light camera fine. Mm. And I'm pretty careful with red lights. I'm not in the habit of driving through red lights. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the life of me, I do not recall going through a red light on that day. I, I, I'm familiar with the intersection. I go through there occasionally. And I looked at the photo and, you know, you can't argue with the photo, can you? There's, the best lawyer in the country won't get you off because... Mm. The photo shows your the position of your car mm-hmm. uh, in the series of two photos. But anyway, right. it was three hundred and three hundred and eighty dollars, roughly. Ouch! It hurts. Mm. Three hundred and eighty bucks. I'm yeah. not on a particularly high income. Mm. Three hundred and eighty bucks. That's uh, it's a little bit of a sting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would uh, argue for a situation where um, people, well, you see at the moment that is. Okay, so you would argue for a situation where the state government can access your tax records, exactly. see your income level, and then issue you with a greater fine if you're yeah. an extremely wealthy person. I, I'm, I'm, I think I'd have to say I'm in favour of it because the fines, as we discussed, are meant to have a deterrent effect. Yeah. See, I would, I would keep them. I'd keep the fines where they are now at a minimum level. Mm. So they, they are the minimum that mm. you get fined. But the, the they could go the sky's the limit, depending on what your income was. Mm. 
I've got to think about that one. I don't know how I feel. Well, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. And and I was I was very much in your camp for a long time, but I am beginning to come around now. Hmm. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Do you guys like bushwalking at all? Yes, very much. Yeah, I do. But not in the buff. I I usually wear clothes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, dear listener, there's a, a hiking spot called Bluff Knoll in Western Australia. And, um... I think probably just because of the name Bluff, people have decided it it's close enough to Buff, and when they get to the top, they whip their gear off and have a celebratory photo taken of themselves mm. in the Buff on Bluff Knoll. It's a spectacular spot to get a photo taken in the Buff. Well, it looks quite nice, but dear listener, it all sounds like fun until somebody gets, gets hurt. Until they're offended, you mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Were disrespected. Disrespected. Yeah. And in this case, an Indigenous tour operator in Western Australia's Great Southern Region wants a nude photo trend in the Stirling Range National Park to end and would prefer if tourists stopped climbing peaks in the park altogether. Mm. Gorong man and tour guide Joey Williams said the buff on the bluff social media craze, which results in hikers posting photos of themselves naked once they reach the peak of Bluff Knoll, was disrespectful. Um, he said it was okay for people to climb the mountain if they were respectful. He would still prefer it if they did not climb. I'm against it. I'll let you know that. He said, I'm in the tourism game. I still don't go up there myself. I tell them about the story at the top, but I don't encourage them to go up there. I tell my story at the car park. The indigenous name for Bluff Knoll is Bula Miao, which means many eyes. It is the hill of many eyes. Eyes are upon you there, protecting us, Mr Williams said. Um, Norwang Jirup, Aboriginal Corporation Chairman Robbie Minter, did not believe tourists should stop climbing, but agreed that nude photos were disrespectful. I just think there should be more respect shown, especially towards the mountain and then for the Aboriginal people. So mountains can be offended by people getting their gear off, can they? Well, it's all those eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they they can can't close everything. them. Can't close any, them. Any, they can't not that. see it. That's right. <laughs> uh, and they uh, see every uh, angle. That's the worst part. Ooh. Yeah. Well, what do you guys this think This is the thing. That? Like, if once you start saying, well, here's rock, stop climbing that. Yeah. It's for buff, a similar reason. Buff Knoll, stop climbing that. It's only a matter of time. We won't be able to climb any mountains that any Aboriginals lay claim to having spiritual significance. Yeah. yeah. Mount Keitha, you know, don't drive your car. Oh, God. It's... That's the hill of many tongues or something, isn't it? They'll be all... When can we say that this is just a load of complete... 
superstition. superstition. It's absolutely that. And if you want to have a superstition, have it. Yes. The same principle should apply to all people of religion in this country. If you want to believe that nonsense, be my guest, but don't expect others to believe it or to change their lives or their, their activities to accord with your superstition. Mm. And as, you know, as, as much as I uh, love and respect our Aboriginal brothers and sisters as much as any other Australians, I'm sorry, guys, it's all superstition. No more, no less than Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism. They're all superstition. The dream time, they're nice old stories, but so are some of the old stories from the, um, the, the Bible. You know, they're nice mm. old stories, but that's what they are. They're stories, they're myths. Mm. And why should we uh, curtail our enjoyment of the great outdoors, uh, which is... Belongs to all of us, surely, shouldn't it? It's well, our commonwealth. At, at some point, an Aboriginal group could say that the Great Barrier Reef needs more respect. Now, that's a place with lots of eyes. <laughs> exactly. But, but once you've opened this gate... Yeah. And Where does this it is the thing. If you're going to take principles like this, you need to apply them across the board in similar Uniform. situations. Yeah. And if a local Aboriginal community decides that the Great Barrier Reef... Uh, should be respected and people shouldn't be going out there, mm. then if you follow this argument, you'd have to say, OK, cancel the charter boats, everybody come in and we'll just talk about it from the beach side. Yeah. So, anyway. It's a must pile have, of horse shit, isn't it? They must have caught up with a, with a, a guy who'd done the social media thing because at the bottom of this article... Um, Visitor Philip Goff had a nude photo taken at the peak and said he would not have done it had he known about cultural sensitivities. It was a spur-of-the-moment decision to derobe, he said. If there were signage stating this, I would respect the cultural significance. I did actually receive numerous hate mails, one saying they were going to report the picture to the authorities. Mr Williams said tourists need to be made more aware of the range's significance. It just needs to be put out there and made aware that we are concerned about people disrespecting our traditional country. So Philip Goff wouldn't have done it had there been a sign saying, keep your gear on. But, no. but why? What's disrespectful exactly. about being naked? Our, our Indigenous brothers and sisters wandered the country for tens of thousands, thousands of years, of years stark years naked. naked. Were they disrespecting the country good, by good, being naked? Good point, actually. Good point. There would have been any number of Aboriginal people. I mean, this is some kind of idea that this Aboriginal fellow has acquired uh, from other sources, surely. It's not something... I don't think there would have been any shame about being naked in the traditional Indigenous culture, would there? You wouldn't have thought so. I don't think in the traditional Aboriginal culture, you know, 5,000 years ago, they would have sat around the campfire saying, hey, you, don't head up the hill naked. That's disrespectful to the mountain. I don't think it would have happened. I mean, his, his point was that just walking on the mountain was disrespectful. Yes. But, but the point he makes about the guy being extra disrespectful because he's naked, because he takes his clothes off, I yes. mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? Mm. Does it? Well, only from a Western viewpoint where you think that showing your bare butt to somebody is a sign of disrespect. But So you're applying a Western concept of disrespect 
in conjunction with an Aboriginal concept. Yeah, and, and claiming that it... Claiming the bits that you like that it's, a, it's an Aboriginal value. That's an, an Indigenous value, yeah. Mm. It's, it's a bit, bit odd, though, isn't it? One of your favourite Aboriginal leaders, Twelfth Man, is Jacinta Nampichimpa. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it either, but, no. yeah, I like her. She's uh, very Man. outspoken, uh, not, a, not a follower... Not a not a herd follower. Hmm. Uh, she has some interesting statistics, and let me just go back to it then. Um, looking at census results of people claiming Aboriginal, oh, claiming to be Aboriginal. So you've got the uh, census that came out in two thousand and six compared to the census in two thousand and eleven. So. Uh, and looking at the increases in um, in Aboriginality um, between the two censors. So, um, so from the two thousand and one, from the two thousand and one to the two thousand and six census. So in that five year period, looking at the various states, the percentage increases in Aboriginality were Northern Territory 17%, New South Wales 9%, Queensland 16%, WA 18%, Victoria 10%, South Australia 2 Tasmania negative 2.8% and the ACT 3.4%. So that's still some significant numbers there of increased people identifying as Aboriginals. But then if you look at the 2011 percentage increases... Uh, there's some big jumps. So New South Wales went up from 9.9% increase to 24.6%. Queensland went up from 16.3% to 22.1%. Victoria from 10% increase to 26%. And Tasmania from negative 2.8% to positive 17%. So... It's staggering, isn't it? It's extraordinary increase in the number of people claiming Aboriginal identity compared to the previous five-year period. Um, what could be the possible reason, Talk Man? Gee, uh, it's, it beats me. What do you think? People uh, discovering their Indigenous heritage some, somehow... Some old photos dug out of a shoebox in the back cupboard. I don't know. Could, could be two reasons, because at one stage uh, it was um, not a good thing to be of convict heritage, and then all of a sudden it became uh, extra special if you could trace your heritage back to convicts. And um, given the gravitas, you know, afforded to... Uh, and respect afforded to Aboriginal people and the extra special nature of their being, people are going, oh, wish I was Aboriginal, maybe I am. It's well, cool actually, to be Indigenous. I think I am. Yeah. Yeah, cool to be Indigenous, perhaps. That's one explanation. Or maybe, you know what, you get a few extra benefits if you're Aboriginal. Um, I'll just put my name down for that. So, well, there are real benefits. Alternatively, it could be people who knew they were Aboriginal and just didn't claim that they were. That's possible too. So I think either of the first two is more likely. Call me cynical. 
I would never call you cynical, Fist. But um, you got any theories, <laughs> Velvet Glove? Um, I couldn't answer it. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I'm looking not to be cynical, but I, the cynical side of me says, well, it could be that people are just trying to claim the benefits, doesn't it? Because that's what it looks like. Um, you know, to go from a, a percentage increase of 22.1 in, you know, as opposed to 16.3 the the five years before, I do find a jump like that being quite extraordinary. And the ACT went from 3.4% in uh, 01 to 06 and then 34%, 33.3% in 06 to 11. Tasmania? You know, that is, Tasmania. From minus yeah, 2.8% to, to positive 17%. yeah. extraordinary. So I mean, this, this, is, this is growths in the numbers of people who claim to be Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. I don't know. It's um, maybe the, the only answer is a cynical answer. Maybe it is because of the benefits people can claim. I don't know. Hmm. Some strange things happen because of this whole identity politics and claiming heritage. And, dear listener, in the United States... Uh, there has been court cases where people have claimed American Indian heritage. And there's a link to a Facebook video that you can watch where this woman uh, successfully ran a court case claiming to be of Cherokee heritage. And the interesting thing is, 12th Man, when you look at her, she appears to be an African-American. And indeed... Well, on one, she, at one level of her identity, she yeah, is. Yeah. And the argument is that the Cherokee Indians had black slaves. And she says that her ancestors were black slaves of the Cherokee Indians. Oh, yeah. And that when treaties were signed, ending the wars, etc., that it was decided that the black slaves of Cherokees were in fact Cherokees as well and entitled to the benefits under the treaty at the time. They would be classified as Cherokee. Yes, yes. Yes. So you have an interesting situation where with a lady who looks for all intents and purposes as an African-American and in fact her ancestors undoubtedly are from Africa, but along the way got enslaved by the Cherokee and she is claiming and did so successfully to be of Cherokee heritage. I'd never heard of um, Native Americans having African slaves before, had you yeah, heard No, that? I hadn't heard it at all as well. No, I hadn't heard of it either, no. So, there we go, dear listener. We've all learnt something on this one. Ah, let me just see. Um, so that was that and that. And... Um, Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about our federal secular index because we're coming out of the woodwork now, dear listener. Uh, The characters are starting to show their colours. One who's been out recently is Senator Matthew Canavan. So he's the one who resigned um, or stood down pending his Italian citizenship being um, worked out because his mother had theoretically booked him in for an Italian citizenship that he didn't even know about and he stood mm. down and once it was all 
worked out. Um, one of the first, you know, they said, what are you going to do? And the first thing he wanted to do was get the Adani mine approved and up and running and also a coal-fired power plant also up and running. That was, those were his priorities. But he is now coming out with the um, uh, changes to the Marriage Act, wanting religious freedom protections put in, and he's quite, he's quite verbal about it and... He's certainly ranking right up there now with the Eric's Abets and the Corey Bernardis of the world. And um, <laughs> he said that he was 17 and finishing high school at Chisholm Catholic College, Cornubia, when he flirted with the idea of being a communist. He was born to a Catholic Irish dad and a Catholic Italian mum in Logan. And... Um, his romantic Marxist days were over when he met a bunch of crazy communist students on his first day at the University of Queensland. Uh, that's literally what happened, he said. I spoke to him on the first day of uni and I thought, these guys are mad. <laughs> Which simply goes to show there are nutters everywhere you look. <laughs> so, this, this is the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, I mean, he is a religious fanatic and he sees some Marxists and goes, these guys are mad. Exactly. Anyway, his faith really got firmed up when he got married because it made him think about the whole thing and that's when he really decided to commit himself to Jesus. And um, uh, it was in the back of his mind. Former Prime Minister Tony Abbott had just been named leader of the Liberal Party. At that stage of life, after having kids, I'd considered myself socially conservative and refound my faith after getting married. So I kind of liked Tony Abbott. I remember emailing a mate saying, if they make Tony leader, I'll apply for a job with him. We all laughed saying that won't happen. Anyway, he was made leader, so I thought, this is a sign from God, I'd better go and do it. <laughs> so he applies for a job with Bloody Tony Abbott, hell. gets one, and then, um, and then when Ron Boswell uh, resigns, he applies for Ron Boswell's position as a senator and gets the nod after moving his young family to Toowoomba, of all places. Why would you move to Toowoomba, Scott? What's... I don't know. I, I left the place as early as I possibly could, so <laughs> I don't know why, but people tell me it's very beautiful, but yeah, I can't a, see A it. colleague yeah. of mine spent the weekend in Toowoomba attending a, uh, a festival. It was supposed to be some sort of Indigenous cultural and musical festival, and uh, he said it was very sadly, very poorly turned out. Right. Um, he felt sorry for the organisers, as you would. But uh, he also came back with a rather dim view of Toowoomba because... Well, it's where Lost Shelton's from. Is it? Yeah, he's from there. And David Van Gend. It's a hotbed of Christian it's nutters up there in Toowoomba. So should we blame Toowoomba for those people? It's, it's got a lot... To, yep. It's got a lot to answer for. It's got for. a lot to answer for, yeah. yeah. Well... Yeah. Groom is the federal electorate that's around there, and it was one of the few in Queensland that voted no. Mm. 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 There you go. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Matthew Canavan appeared at the ACL conference, which was just on the other day, and he gave this uh, commitment. So I give you this commitment that I will be moving amendments to the Smith Bill to enshrine those protections and to ensure that every Australian has the right to a free expression of their religious views and the right to educate their children in the moral and religious viewpoints that they see as correct. I'm putting him down as a one or a two on our index, 
Scott? Well, that really wouldn't surprise me. I think a one or a two is probably quite effective, quite reasonable for him. Mm. I mean, he's not as bad as Erica Betts, who is labelled as a zero. So, but I think he's he's in the one he's in the one to two territory. It'll go well, up in the I'd next few him, days. Yeah. I'd give him a one actually. After okay. that, I mean, uh, if you address the ACL yeah. <laughs> and you make comments like that. And you get applauded from the ACL. I think you've got to you've got to be marked down as a one, anyway. But doesn't it come across as a cultural Catholic rather than a deeply committed, you know, uh, religious Catholic? I mean, obviously he's religious, but well, no, he comes across to me as a complete hardcore. Do you think? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So um, still at that conference, we discussed uh, uh, Scott that, you know, all these people have been involved now in arguing for the no case and, you know, they've met, you know, girls have met boys, fallen in love at ACL conferences and the like and they're going to be looking around for other fights, you know, not only continuing this fight but looking for other fights. And Lyle Shelton agrees with me. This is a record attendance for an ACL conference. Uh, So many people, thousands of volunteers have had a taste of political campaigning and activism, and they're saying, what next? That's Lyle Shelton. Yeah, and I, I read something I read something on one of the websites today, I forget when it was, but they said that the ACL was making its move to become the new right of Australian politics. I think you it's know, already there. It's, uh, yeah, it's already there, already yeah. There. But they have, they've, they've gathered these people together, and they've got them on email lists, and they're now going to be pumping them full of... Um, motivating stuff to, you know, fight abortion sort of legislation and whatever else comes along. So they've created a little army there. Watch out, mm. secular world. Yeah, and they're, they're highly motivated. They, mm. they have a bit of funding. Mm. Mm. Scott, you've got some uh, some entrance on our secular index. What have you got? I do. I've got three more tonight. Uh, first one, ScoMo, Scott Morrison. He runs with the Holy Rollers. And what it's telling is that when you Google search Scott Morrison religion, the first entry that comes up is Pentecostalism. Mm. Uh, not a great sign. No. Uh, Fist, you once said to me a long time ago that there was no way he will vote for marriage equality, and I fear you may be right. Mm. He's joined the battered and bruised no voters in calling for religious freedom. This is a link to the Sydney Morning Herald Uh Thing that said that uh, Scott Morrison was after religious freedom protections, not necessarily in this bill, but a new bill to come in next year sometime that actually goes through and codifies religious freedoms and that sort of thing. Uh, anyway, my overall score for him was a three, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds fair enough. Uh, okay. David Lionhelm, he's a Liberal Democratic senator who was elected to the election before last on the basis of name recognition. That is, people who were voting for him thought they were voting for the Liberal Party. Uh, there's little to no information about his formal ties to any faith-based organisation. I took that as a good sign. Um, he's spoken out many times against multiculturalism. I think the latest, latest result of the same-sex marriage survey has given him some more fuel for his tank in this regard. Anyway, he thinks it's time for Australia to be more picky for those that we take on as citizens. So there's an SBS ad that an SBS link that I've added there. Um, 
I think he's a recipient of either a neutral five or slightly positive six. Probably just put him down as a five mm. oh, would be my suggestion. I'm going to add to that. He actually mm. drafted a bill for mm. allowing marriage equality, but it had in yeah. there a clause which would allow bakeries to refuse to supply wedding cakes to gay couples on the basis yeah, of protecting and, religious freedom. Yeah, and that's his libertarian ideals coming through. Yes. That he wants um, he wants to be able to uh, allow people to discriminate without any yeah, impost from the he's, law. He's a 12th man libertarian in the sense Absolutely. of, you know, yeah. you want to get married, get married. You want to not serve people, don't serve people. You know, full freedom is a sort of David Lionhelm. You want to have a... Fully automatic shotgun. Go and buy <laughs> yeah. one. That was no, that was him as well. I, I know. I'm he, fully he aware does, of that. He does. I'm, he I'm wants, not at all in favour of lib, you know liberalising gun laws. Well, it's just because you're inconsistent in your thinking. No, because I don't think you're a full libertarian. Well, I'm not libertarian in that sense, and this is what I said to you before. I'm not a, an American-style libertarian by any means. I don't want the general community to have free access to deadly weapons. Right, but, you know, if it should be just up to people, if they want to refuse service to people, refuse service. Whatever people want to do, let them do. Who are we to tell people what to do? If it's their own... Good point, Fist. If it's their own, you know, stuff that they're doing, doesn't interfere with other people. If they want to peacefully own a fully automatic um, shotgun, why not? No, libertarian 12th man. Well, if people want to drive at 300 kilometres an hour on the motorway, why shouldn't no, no, they? No, but, but, but That's just, the same just, principle. No, but they're just holding a gun. They're just, they've got it, they own it, and they go out pig shooting with it. Well, I'm I mean, just driving at 300 kilometres an hour. I'm not you, trying to run anyone but, but down. You, you can potentially peacefully and lawfully, and, and, but more importantly, peacefully own an automatic shotgun. Mm-hmm. You can't safely drive a car at 300 kilometres an hour. I think I can. Yeah. <laughs> now you're being silly. No, but, I'm not. I'm, but now I you're mean, being silly. 300 is perhaps look, look, beyond you know, my if capacity. If you're such a libertarian, if you think that people should be allowed to do whatever they want, provided it's not interfering with other people, hmm. then, uh, you know, why would you be against uh, a fully automatic shotgun owner? Because, Let's just go out as, and, as we and know, shoot a lot of pigs very quickly. Because as we know, when they fall into the wrong hands or they fall into the hands of someone in a disturbed state of mind, they do incredible damage, whereas... Oh, there's a great danger to society in that. Look... Is that, is it the overall danger to society outweighs the freedom? No. Because as you know, no, no. a wedding cake doesn't kill anyone. No, 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 no. But, but it's, a shotgun can. Yes, yes, but a divided, segregated society is... A dangerous and dysfunctional In a very society. different way to a shotgun, let's face it. A the, very the, different... It's the, a, I mean... The, the, it, the society no, of Alabama false, was, was a very dangerous, a, divided and ugly society. to say that people who can refuse to sell wedding cakes or refuse to act as wedding photographers are as dangerous to the harmony and fabric of society as the... Free access of shotguns. This, I'm sorry, that's a false equivalent. No, this is where we've got to get to because I obviously see a great danger and injury to society 
caused by segregation that you don't see. That's, well, I, I that's don't a key see, difference. I don't see the segregation happening uh, in the same way that you apparently do. I don't think well, a few... Well, because, look... 40% of Australians... 40, based on statistics, 40% of Australian bakeries would say, not giving you a cake. I, I wasn't aware of a survey of Australian but, bakeries. But 40% of Australians said they don't want people, gay people, to marry. I don't think you can so, extrapolate that to 40% of bakeries. Well, it was a nice try, though. No, but, 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 hang on. but if you're saying it's not a significant number, it could potentially be based on that. Look, I personally think social change is better achieved by educating people well, than educate by... educate people not to have a shotgun then. ..than by compelling them through legislation yes, to conform not, to not, what the government considers is the correct moral but, framework. But you don't, you, don't, you don't run that argument for the gun ownership. You say, oh, we're not going to educate people to voluntarily give up their automatic shotgun. That's true, because they present an, a present, an ever-present danger. Here's my argument... You don't see the danger to society that I see from this segregation ability. Well, you keep saying the word segregation. I don't think it's segregation. I, don't, I, th- I think that's an extreme extrapolation of some private business people uh, acting in a discriminatory manner. That's not segregation, Trevor. That's just but some businesses... Uh, behaving in a, a somewhat antisocial fashion. That's not segregation. It's not the same thing. Mm. But, pitch, but shotguns can readily kill people and do real harm, much more harm than someone being refused service in a cake shop. I will let the dear listener make up their mind on that one. Scott's sitting there patiently. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> no, you're all right. This is a very interesting conversation. I mean, like, um, are we going to discuss that Kevin Andrews train wreck of an interview that he gave on Sky as well later or not? Well, yes. I mean, he's from the okay, uh, 12th well, we'll Man Libertarian because um, he said that yeah. a conscientious objection is fine. It doesn't have to be yeah. religious and... And he wants Jews to be able to, Jewish bakers to be able to say no to Muslims and Muslim bakers to be able to say no to Jews. Correct. So that is sectarianism right down the line there. Yes. And we've all seen in the Middle East what happens when you have sectarian values ruling a country. Mm. As you well know, I'm not supporting... Uh, people because, refusing to sell off-the-shelf cakes. Yes, it's because it's customised <laughs> um, uh, creative work that you object Absolutely. to. Okay, I... just just on creative work, uh, is a performer in a circus a sort of a creative artist? Absolutely. Okay, so uh, if the performer is on the uh, you know about to do a trapeze act or something with some ribbons or something, perhaps looks in the audience and says, oh, "There's some uh, black people there." I'm not going to do my. I'm not going to perform in front of them. I don't want to. Yeah, that's an absurd example, Fist. With respect, because you know a performer in a circus is not going to be halfway through their trapeze act, stopping to think who might be in the audience. Right. It's but, just not but, going to happen. But but if they and if they had objections to people they? of different uh, could they descriptions know? being in the audience, they wouldn't have joined the circus. Let's face it. Well, they wouldn't have opened a bakery. <laughs> No, they might have. <laughs> but, so... Uh, I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying okay. bakers should it's, be able but to no, you, refuse it's the creative, service. Okay, I've got a peep show. Like, a lady runs a peep show. 
And people come in one at a time to watch her do a sort of pole dancing sort of thing, okay? Yeah. And a whole bunch of white guys are watching one by one and then a black guy comes along and he goes, I'm not doing my peep show for you. Should she be allowed to say no? What do you think? I think you would say, yes, she should be allowed to refuse. But I'm saying to you, that is a creative expression, but you're prepared to make an exception that she should perform. Look, you know, people who are selling their own personal creativity, I think, should be able to choose. I'm not saying I agree with her choice or that I support her values. All I'm saying is... And and the example I gave you some weeks ago, you know, a, a sculptor... A stone sculptor, and there's only one in Toowoomba, and the the Catholic Church in Toowoomba wants to commission this sculptor to make a, a statue of you know Jesus Christ dying in Mary's arms or something. And the sculptor says, "Look, sorry guys, I think that's all a bunch of nonsense, and I just not going to be, you know, not going to be involved in that." Mm. Should they be able to sue him? I don't think they should, because that's his his creative work, and he should be able to choose what sort of creative work he produces, he or she produces. So there you go. That's my position. And, and you know, talking about peep shows is a little bit absurd, I think. But, no, no, we've, but maybe, we've, we've, maybe we've, we can we've, extend it we've to We've got them. to define the different roles yeah. and why and there I asked are you exceptions. About prostitutes. Yes, yes. And what did you decide on that? The prostitutes well, just, just remind should the, be... Remind the dear listener on what the conundrum was. Well, the conundrum <laughs> was, should a prostitute, male or female, be able to decline service to a person based on their physical appearance of whatever kind? Uh, well, if they're consistent in the sense that, say, they just refuse to have sex with people who are unwashed and unclean and smelly... How do you measure unwashed? Let's just assume it can be measured. I so, don't think it can. Well, well, I mean, what is washed? Well, one let, shower a let, day, two showers a day, let, one shower a week, one shower a year? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something that you're going to go... You're going to jump on me, so okay. just let me finish. Sorry. <laughs> So you can refuse service to somebody who, I don't know, do people need to have some sort of, who refuses to wear a condom, for example? Yep, you could say, well, I'm not having sex with you. But if a prostitute has had sex with a series of guys all morning and then stops because the next guy in is a black guy, then, sorry, your prostitution licence should be revoked. You've got to be prepared to... She's just providing a service like a bakery... It's just a different type of muffin, but ultimately. <laughs> so you don't think it's a creative act? No, no, with respect to with respect to the prostitutes out there, no, I don't think that's a creative. Oh, that's a bit it's, harsh. it's a procreative act, but not a creative act. Mm. Oh, boom, boom! Come on, it's performance art of a sort, isn't it? <laughs> I, I would have no idea, Dwarf Man. Well, I'm, I'm making an assumption. But, you know, anyway, but that's, that's my view, so I'm consistent, I would have thought. Hmm. So well, I, I am too, because yeah. I think she should be, she, yes. he or she yes. should be given the freedom to, to choose yeah. the customers. Yeah, so there we go. Scott, was there another one on the secular index? Yeah, just Lionhelm. Are we going to go with a four or a five with him? I. Uh, He's not. It's a libertarian reason rather than a religious reason. But yeah. it is a sectarian law. He's willing mm. to give an adva- a pri- privilege to a religious group 
So I think he can't be neutral. He has to be a four. Mm. Yeah. I, I would think. No worries. I'm starting to think <laughs> the 12th man might only rate as a, as a four. <laughs> 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 Fill me in. What's how do you how do you just, measure just, people? Just kidding, Scott. Anyone? Anyone well, else? The final one that I've got is Matthias Corman. Matthias Corman yes. is a Roman Catholic. He has been described as in between the likes of the very devout Barnaby Joyce and Andrew Robb and Matthias Corman. Finance. That's from the Saturday paper, 2015. Uh, Prime Minister Tony Abbott and the Christian Right. He's at odds with the PM over the need to amend Smith's bill. There's a Guardian article there. So um, the only thing I came across was was the need to amend Dean Smith's bill, which I think should rate him at either a four or a five. Um, he can't be a five. Of, if he wants to no, amend to the bill, can he? Yeah. He's got to be he's, a four. He's in the three yeah. or four category. and. And and Lionhelm. No, but I'd put him at a four. I'd put him at L- a four. Lionhelm was a four because his reasons were libertarian, whereas Matthias Corman is potentially a three because his reasons are religious. That's true, and we we put um, Skomo down there at three, didn't we? Yeah, right. Yeah, he should is be Corman a three. Is Corman very religious person? Yeah. He's a Roman Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, but some people are, but, but, you know, cultural Catholics. They're not. Well, he's he's more than religious. a cultural but, Catholic. But his yeah, his reasoning is. is religious freedom, whereas Lionhelm was just freedom yeah. of, of all you know, freedom of conscience generally. Yes. Sort of my position. Yes. Yes. So, mm. okay, that's him. So that's good. But what's tell yep. me, um, Glove? What is a a devout Barnaby Joyce. What 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 is that animal? Do I don't know. I mean, Barnaby always struck me as more of a cultural Catholic than anything else. But apparently, he's listed he's listed in the uh, Saturday paper that I've linked there as as being devout. Seriously, I, yeah, which I found really bizarre. He's never come across as particularly religious to me. No, he doesn't. He comes across as a cultural Catholic, and that's about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we haven't done Barnaby Joyce yet. So somebody, please, do Barnaby Joyce. Find some stuff and we'll enter him on the index. Uh, Dear listener, we're back. I actually had a blackout in my area and that's disrupted us. And so we had to reconnect Skype and we're back online. And we were talking about Section 44 where that's the one that has ruled out a number of... um, dual citizen politicians and it also says you can't hold an office of profit under the crown and a lot of the replacement politicians who are lining up to take these senate positions are in danger of falling foul of that section as well so uh so fiona nash was ruled ineligible and a lady called holly hughes was going to be her replacement but she had been appointed uh, to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and, as a senior public servant under that, was deemed to have held an office of profit under the Crown. So she couldn't be a a Member of Parliament either. It's amazing how much the Constitution has kicked in on the news in the um, the last few weeks. And the other one was Jackie Lambie. So... The guy who's supposed to replace her, Steve Martin, has been the mayor of Davenport. And he's claiming that's okay, that's not an office of profit under the Crown, but it's all a bit up in the air and open to interpretation. And 
there are constitutional law professors who say that there's an argument that he's not entitled to either. So, so senators getting knocked out for being dual citizens and replacement senators getting knocked out because they are um, high-placed public servants. So all these public uh, elected positions like a mayor is an office of the Crown, is it? Well, yet to be determined. That one's not so clear, but uh, it all depends on the particular circumstances. So, yeah, so that's uh, got to be worked out. And, um, Scott, we were just going to finish off with the story about Kevin Andrews. Yeah, Kevin Andrews, he's a... uh long-time sufferer well he's he's he, he makes people suffer but anyway he's the catholic that um put a kibosh on the uh northern territories voluntary assisted dying all those years ago and he's also came out in favor of religious freedom and that sort of nonsense when it comes to the uh when it comes to the marriage equality law but he's gone one step further. In a train wreck of an interview on Sky, he has said that a Jewish baker should be able to refuse to serve a Muslim couple and vice versa. He's made the comments while arguing bakers should be able to refuse service to same-sex couples for a wedding if they had religious views against same-sex marriage. Asked us if a Jewish baker should be able to deny a Muslim couple, he said, well, why not? Mm-hmm. Now, that is absolutely nonsense. It is clearly the same sort of sectarian problem that the Middle East is faced with and if he was able to get away with that down under we would end up with the same sort of problems that they've got in the Middle East over here Yeah, so it's absolute garbage Hmm. What do you think of a 12th man? (laughs) (laughs) Well you know my view is that uh, you know off-the-shelf items uh, should be sold to whoever walks through the door with the money to buy it. I'm, sure I'm just particularly concerned. Yeah, let me finish. I'm just particularly concerned with people being compelled to engage in creative uh, services that mm. they don't feel mm. their heart is in it, you know. Mm. But, you know, selling stuff off the shelf, out of the fridge, whatever, I mean, yeah, that's, that's stretching it a bit far, isn't it? Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we've explored a few more of your views. I will do my homework between now and our next meeting and hopefully <laughs> come up with some more false um, Come up with some more, some more um, interesting, you know, scenarios. You know, I thought the circus performer and the peep show were pretty good, but you didn't. Uh, you didn't. The circus performer no. is, is, no, it's, not, it's definitely a false equivalence. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right, dear listener, that's long enough for us. That is the end of episode 100. Oh, thank you to our patrons out there. Um, sorry, due to the blackout, I don't have the list in front of me now. But um, thank you for supporting the show. It's much appreciated. If you are not supporting us via Patreon, um, but you really like the show, and maybe you've listened to 10 or 12 or 20 of them, and maybe just occasionally you might like one of our episodes on Facebook, well, I think it's time to just go that extra step and share. So some true commitment and click on the share button. That would be a nice little present for Scott and I and the 12th man this week if you like the episode. So um, until next week, 
and we'll we'll talk to you then. Bye. Thank see you, you Fist. See you, Glove. Bye now. See you, listeners. See you later, Twelfth Man. Bye now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.